Thanks for tuning in to the Ecclesia podcast. We are a group of people committed to proclaiming the words and doing the works of Jesus and his kingdom. And these podcast episodes are conversations we're having in our community. You can join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Thanks for listening. We are in our third Sunday in Lent. So happy mini feast day to those who are observing this year. I'm really excited about the text today, so um, I'm going to like skip over any sort of like prep story or anything like that um, and not waste any more time because there's a lot I want to go through. So let's just pray and dive right in. Father, thank you for your presence here. Thank you that you love every single part of our whole selves the same. And thank you that you do not leave us that way. <laughs> Lord, speak through me or in spite of me, and let the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. So I'm going to start just, again, diving into the text. So we're at Luke 13, beginning in verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 9. So if you want to follow along, I invite you to do so. All right. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So I don't know about you all, but I've heard this passage preached a handful of ways in my long years in the church. Um, and those problem or those <laughs> interpretations, while had, they had some good aspects of them, um, had some really problematic parts as well. So perhaps you heard this message from the perspective that we all need to repent because God's judgment is near and you will perish if you do not repent. And certainly an argument can be made of this interpretation. In fact, this pericope is positioned right in the middle of Jesus having a conversation with his disciples, with his followers about uh, the impending judgment. And he's telling them, wait, watch, be ready, don't worry, all of these things like in relation to the coming judgment of God. And the fact that this whole section starts with at that very time implies that this makes its way in the midst of that conversation and is almost a, a way of the followers responding to what Jesus had been saying up to this point. And perhaps like me, you have a really negative and almost visceral reaction to the word repent. For some reason, this year, I have been assigned all of the texts on repentance. <laughs> Maybe God wants me to learn something. I don't know. 
But when I think of any message about repentance or when it starts with repent, the kingdom of God is near, I immediately think about the street preachers yelling at me about how horrible I am and how Jesus is coming soon, so I better repent or perish. And if you don't think that this doesn't happen still today, it 100% does, and I'm going to tell you with a story. Yesterday, my friend, my best friend came to town, and we went to the aquarium with her daughter, and it was amazing and beautiful, and we were walking out and, like, walking to the car, and we heard shouting, and she was like, oh, my gosh, is someone getting in a fight? And we turned the corner. No, just a group of street preachers, street preachers, yelling at everyone who passed by that God is coming, repent or perish. So we went to the other side of the street to avoid it. (laughs) I did not want to end my lovely time with my friend being yelled at about how awful I am. So there's lots of arguments that can be made for this being an effective tool, but... um, you know, that's a whole other sermon. So, but the idea is that if we scare folks into some kind of salvation prayer, then we've succeeded in converting them to Christ. Um, But I'm not sure that this is really helpful (laughs) long-term. At least in my experience. (laughs) And, And not to mention in the context of the rest of this passage, if we dig in a little deeper, I don't think that's really what this passage is trying to teach us. See, because what happens when repentance becomes a result of fear, and even more so fear of God's judgment, at worst, I've seen the response as, I better go out and preach the same message of fear, and then perpetuate that way of thinking about things, and that narrative. At best, arguably, folks become so paralyzed by the fear that they they repent, And then they're like, I'm just going to keep my head down. I'm just going to mind my own business until God comes back and rescues me from this awful world, right? Don't, Don't look like when we put on blinders to keep us from seeing the injustices that are happening all around us all the time. And we're like, doesn't matter, doesn't matter. God's coming back and I'm going to go up into the rapture so we'll leave all this stuff behind. And in that way, that form of repentance causes us to become sterile, just like maybe the tree in the parable, not bearing any fruit. And before we move on to some other problematic interpretations, I want to like sit with the word repent for a minute, because I think we need maybe a refresher, just real quick. Um, And I think it's going to be helpful for us to engage a better interpretation later on. So um, I'm going to go ahead and say, prepare yourselves. There is a short Greek lesson coming. Yes, I just took my Greek final on Monday, y'all. And (laughs) funny story, my Greek professor, we're like having our final class, and he's like, you guys are great, and just like keep going and digging in. Yeah, he's like, and y'all are probably the most dangerous phase right now because you know enough Greek to understand it, but you also have a lot of pride in this knowledge that can lead to really problematic theological interpretations. So as we walk into all of this, with all the humility that I can muster, (laughs) we're going to move into it, okay? (laughs) And I actually think that what I have to say really jives. So, but again, humility, okay. Yes. So the Greek word for repent is metanoia. And this is 
what's known as a contract verb. So it has a verb with a preposition attached to the front end of it. So the verb is noia, which means I understand or I know. If we put that meta in front of it, meta by itself can either mean after or, wait, look at me. I'm like, wait, I just didn't know. Or through, after or through. And so when you put these two together, one way to interpret this is after understanding or through understanding is my sort of like very literal when you take the two pieces separately and smush them together. Now, when you look it up in the Greek dictionary, after the word repent comes the primary definition of changing one's mind, which I think actually kind of goes together with this idea that there's like this process of knowing and understanding that our minds are malleable enough to change and turn around our way of thinking so that like our actions can then like, you know, echo the things that we have changed our minds about. So there's this like action attached to it, which I think is really important. Not the like fear and scared and I repent, but rather there's this process of changing our minds through better understanding and better knowing. And I just like it because I think it, it implies grace, right? Which the repent and perish thing does not. Repentance comes as we better understand. It doesn't just happen one time in a place of fear. It's something we're constantly doing if we allow ourselves to do it. Now, knowing this does make the repent or die message sound a little less potent, right? But I'm going to be honest with you, I still don't love it. I don't love this idea of repentance. Why? Because it still means that I have to do something. (laughs) I have to change. And that doesn't sound super fun. Because change is not fun all the time. Unless it's like cutting my hair or putting color in it or something like that. Getting a new piercing or a tattoo. But (laughs) real transformational stuff, right? (laughs) We're going to talk more about this and unpack it in a few minutes. But I want us to get a better sense of what this word repent means. Now, another way to read this text is to see the Jewish community as a people with really bad theology. So Jesus has just gotten done talking about the judgment and the impending coming of God, get ready, prepare, and the followers that are with him, their response to all of this whole message is, did you hear about the Galileans that came to give their sacrifice and then Pilate just like slaughtered them? And there's this like unspoken in like implications with that as if they're saying, you know, um, Something like, see those Galileans? Like, they found their judgment. They did something to deserve it. And, like, let's not even mention that evil guy, Pilate. So there's just, like, all of these sort of, like, negative judgment, like, statements that are happening implied in what the, um, what the people bring up to Jesus. And Jesus, I think, hearing these implied judgments, calls out the really bad theology that's pervasive not only in the Jewish community. Like the whole culture of the first century is one of like, if you did something bad, whether it's the gods, like Zeus or whoever, or whether it's the, the God of the Jews, Yahweh, if, you do, if something bad happens to you, you have done something to piss off the gods. Like you have sin in your life, like, and these are the consequences. You, like get straight. 
or perish. <laughs> we can think, right, of Job's friends. Like, Job has all of the stuff happen to him, and his friends are like, what did you do? What sin did you commit? And he's like, bro, I didn't do anything. And they're like, okay. But <laughs> it's like 45 chapters of this whole argument, right? So Jesus then goes on to tell his followers, hi, hello, all of you out here with like these really harsh judgments on the Galileans and on Pilate. You're sinners. You're all implicated. Like those Galileans are no better than you are or worse than you are. You guys are level playing field, right? You're all the same. (laughs) Like we were saying about this morning. And as sinners, you must repent and perish. Okay, so now we're back at the same problems that we had before about this repent or perish narrative. And there are also, like, another, there's another kind of subtle problem, but it's pretty big. And that's the anti-Semitism that arises from this way of reading this, <laughs> this section. Because we can think of the fig tree in the parable as the Jewish community, or even more specifically, the temple, which was really, really common. Um, it was a common metaphor of the day. And we know because we're removed 2,000 years, that the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 CE. So we can infer then that if the tree is the temple, the tree represents the Jewish community, they did not bear fruit and they were cut down to make space in the soil for a fruitful tree in Christianity, which is what we're not really like saying outright, but it kind of is implied. So they're painted as the bad guys who didn't repent. And then we see what really bad things happen from that sort of narrative. Like, I'll just name one, the Holocaust. Harmful theology. Super subtle, though. That one's a little bit less obvious. Another harmful approach is in the way we interpret the parable. We can assume that God is like the owner the bad guy owner who's super impatient. He's like the creator who's like, where is the fruit? I'm not seeing the results. Cut it down. Really angry, really impatient, like disappointed in the tree that's been planted. And we can interpret that like the gardener is Jesus, the one who loves us and advocates for us and is like, wait, just wait. Let me see if I can do some work with the tree. Let me see if I can engage and fix this problem, right? And advocate, like dig around, throw some manure on there, see what I can do. And let's see if good fruit is produced. And, you know, this whole wrathful God, loving Jesus, like theology is pretty like pervasive, right? We, we have like this idea that God is wrath, Jesus is love, and God's so angry that he sends his son to like, I, it's problematic. And I don't want to go into all of it because I think you guys know where I'm going with this. It's also closely linked with this idea of our total depravity, right? We are, God is so angry with us and wants to kill us because we are awful, barren trees, that just deserve to be cut down because we're just wasting space. We're just wasting the good soil. Yeah. So I don't want to belabor that point because I don't want to sit in the negative. (laughs) But it's there, and I hear that you guys see that. As I've alluded to throughout, I want us to look at maybe another way to interpret this passage. 
<laughs> now that I've like teased this out, <laughs> I want to read this passage actually from the First Nations version. It's a translation that I feel is really helpful. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's an indigenous translation of the New Testament. It's lovely um, and just brings out maybe a different perspective for us. So, um, Also, one thing to note in this translation is rather than calling it Jesus and Galilee and Pilate, they like write out the meanings of the names. So that's a little bit different that you're going to hear. But when there's a parenthesis describing a name, I'll call that out as well. So we're not lost. Then some of the people were told, no, let me start over. Then some of the people there told creator sets free, that's Jesus, about the people from the circle of nations, Galilee, whom Spear of the Great Waters, that's Pilate, had put to death and mixed their blood with their own ceremonial offerings. He said to them, do you think it was because their bad hearts and wrongdoings that they suffered? Do you think their hearts were worse than all the others in Circle of Nations? No, I say to you, but if you, the people of the village of peace, that's Jerusalem, do not change your ways of thinking and take a new path, you will all die in the same way. What about the 18 people on whom the tower in Sending Village fell? Do you think they were worse than all the others living in the village of peace? No, I say to you, but if you, the people of the sacred village of peace, do not change your ways of thinking and take a new path, you will all die in the same way. So he told them this story. There was a man who planted a fig tree in his garden, but when he came to find fruit, there was none. He said to the keeper of the garden, I have been looking for fruit on this tree for three seasons and I found none. Cut the tree down. Why waste good dirt on it? But the garden keeper answered the man, give me another season. I will dig around the tree and fertilize it. If it has no fruit after that, then cut it down. Highly recommend. But I want us to like catch this language of repentance. If you do not change your ways of thinking and take a new path, you will die in the same way. What a beautiful way to frame this. And it's, again, like because we've unpacked this idea of repentance is not a far off translation of what the nature of this, te- of this passage is really saying. Perhaps what Jesus is trying to teach his followers is not only that they're sinners and implicated in sin, but also there's a way forward that does not lead to death. And it's not a super, superficial repentance that comes from like fear of judgment, and one could argue, is that even true repentance? And it's not one that leads to inaction, a tree that's sterile and is not bearing any fruit. But is it toward a repentance, a transformation that comes through or with understanding and that breeds action and bears abundant fruit? See, all along Luke's gospel, Jesus has been teaching and showing his disciples, and by extension us, the tools for peace and a new way of being. Jesus is giving us things like courageous truth-telling, self-interrogation, humility, 
non-defensiveness, boldness, gentleness, compassion for our adversaries, the capacity to listen, a willingness to risk for the sake of what is good and true. These are themes throughout Luke. They're up to this point and beyond. So what if in Jesus' response and parable, he's continuing to remind the followers that there's a way forward that might avoid some of the consequences of the sins we're implicated in? What if Jesus is teaching the disciples the way of, like, the cruciform life? What if Jesus is speaking not about personal piety necessarily, but about a way, about ways that people can relate to one another better? So this repentance is calling the disciples to change what they think about their implied theologies around what someone might deserve, or even about what God's judgment is towards one another. There's this relational aspect to it. Jesus is challenging them to engage with each other in peace rather than the violence that they see when they interact with the Romans or with one another. And what we'll see moving forward is that Jesus continues to embody this. He will continue to walk this path to his crucifixion, to his resurrection. This whole passage ends with a story about a tree. I think it's easy for us, since our tree, our logo is a tree, to see ourselves in this parable. And what if we looked at ourselves as the gardeners of the tree? The ones tending to our community. What if we're the ones advocating for one another? encouraging and waiting and seeing. Let's unpack this a little bit. We're going to begin with some manure, just because it's in the text. Um, I don't know what you think about manure, but to me it smells and it's dirty and it's just icky. That's the, it's clickily, as my niece used to call it. Um, and I also know that for me, if I'm tending to my little house plants that I have that are like shockingly thriving, I don't know, I would much rather throw some miracle grow on them than deal with that stuff, right? But if you ask any farmer, they prefer to use like the good, what they prefer to use for good, healthy plant growth is manure. Manure. They'll tell you quite literally, it's the shit. Pun intended. Why didn't I get more laughs at that? Come on, guys. It was hilarious. Manure's the shit. It's the shit. (laughs) Also be proud of me. Thank you. (laughs) So So much going on. (laughs) I love it. All right. Circle back around. Because let me tell you this. When we deal with in relationships, shit happens. There's no getting around it. <laughs> and conflict in itself isn't bad, yet we've somehow made it to be a bad thing, I think. Because what conflict does is it gives us an opportunity to come like face to face with the waves, ways we've rubbed against one another 
And it can be really painful and awkward. (laughs) Because having to repent to one another, to change our ways of thinking about one another, is really uncomfortable, and it's not very fun. It's why we either avoid it or quickly dismiss it. Neither of those are healthy. Now, we could pattern ourselves after the way of the world. We could resort to violence with hurtful accusations and even worse gossip. Or we could use passive-aggressive manipulation. That leads to bitterness and resentment. Or we could do my favorite, which is to throw some miracle grow on it and say, that's okay, you didn't really hurt me, it's all fine. If I deal with these emotions, like it's a time waster and it's not productive and I wasn't really hurt anyway, so we're fine. (laughs) Everything's fine. It's quick, it's painless, and it's fruitless. (laughs) And it's bullshit. (laughs) What if instead... We saw conflict as an opportunity to use the tools that Jesus has been teaching us all along, like humility. I messed up. I messed up. Vulnerability. What you said hurt me. Non-defensiveness. I'm willing to hear how I hurt you. Curiosity. What about that was upsetting? Let's interrogate that. Compassion. Yeah, that's really hard. Let's talk about it. The capacity to listen. I was joking with someone this week who hasn't been able to talk, and she's like, man, like, when I'm quiet, other people say things, and I'm able to hear all of it. What if we, like, just pretended we couldn't talk (laughs) and listened? And there is like a 100% guarantee that there's going to be some shit in this process. We might have to wade through some really hard conversations that bring out our own sins and shortcomings. That's the, that's the hard part, right? <laughs> and we'll most certainly have to repre- repent of our own actions in the conflict. And it's like really slow work. We're this impatient lady, and it's so worth it. Because I just want to confess before you right now, you guys, that I would much rather spend my time convincing everybody else that they need to change their way of thinking to my way of thinking. And I don't have to do any changing at all. Because obviously, I have the best way. And when I think about that, it makes me laugh and cry. But I'm reminded of something that Maya Angelou has said that I love. She said, I did then what I knew how to do. Now that I know better, I do better. And I like this way of talking about repentance for a couple of reasons. The first is that there's an implication that there will be things that I do not understand and mistakes that I will make. And this statement implies that even in the midst of those misunderstandings and mistakes, there's grace. I did what I knew then. I know better now. And because I know better now, I'm going to do better now. There's like so much grace in that. 
I want to just do everything perfectly and not have to do the mistake part. But like, that's not how we learn. That's not even how good fruit is born, right? <laughs> you gots to have the good fertilizer. And conflict is hard. Dealing with other humans is not always easy. And sometimes we walk away dirty and smelling. (laughs) But I think this is the way forward that Jesus is teaching us. To dig around the tree, to make space to breathe and take root into the ground, to wade into the shit and find that what we thought was awful, gross, smelly dirt is actually the exact fertilizer needed to bring about health, to bring about fruit. And I've seen our community, I've seen us in this room do this really, really well. And we have also done it not so well. (laughs) But I believe just like this tree that's not bearing fruit, that we're in like a waiting period right now. We've talked about it so many times. We're in this sort of liminal space. And I think in this season, we, we choose the path that leads to destruction, violence, manipulation, passive aggressive behavior, avoidance, or one that aligns sorry, I'm not in my notes anymore. We can change our minds. We can choose to change our minds. (laughs) We can choose to change our minds towards one another. We can walk into spaces in in humility with a non-defensive posture, with a view of peace. And we just might be able to learn from one another. Learn to do better, to become better. And what's interesting about this parable is we're sort of left with this image of like an unfruitful tree being tended by a gardener, and we don't know if fruit comes from that. But I know in my mind when I read that parable, after the good tending, there's good fruit. And I have a lot of hope that our community will and already has begun that process. I look around at this community and there are a lot of hard-fought relationships (laughs) in this room. We've been able to love each other through a lot of stuff that we've had to wade through. A lot. And like the miracle is that we still like, not only like each other, but like love each other through it. Like miracle of miracles. I love you all. (laughs) And I think that's the miracle of the cruciform life. That like the repentance that Jesus has called us to and continues to call us to is that, is that. So I want to encourage us to continue on this hard and dirty path that brings love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
As we travel along this path, we're embodying the very kingdom of God that Jesus proclaimed had come and is continuing to come. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation by engaging on all the typical social medias and by joining us Sunday mornings at 11. Peace and love to you all.